Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. As always, please make sure you are liking, sharing, following, subscribing to us on whatever streaming service you are listening on. You can leave us a review, a rating, tell your friends, your family, your neighbors to come on over and have a listen. That support is huge. Today, we're sitting down with Canadian country musician, Sean Austin. Now he got his big break back in 2017 when he signed with Steelhead Music, but it was actually about 10 years before that that his musical career began in bars, coffee shops, and restaurants. Back then, he didn't know if music was just a hobby or if it was a career. And so 2017 was really the Kickstarter to making it a career. 2017 was big, 2018 was bigger, and 2019 was his biggest year yet. And then 2020 hit. Luckily, throughout that time, he has had big things brewing, and in 2021, he announced that he signed with Local Hay Records, which is a joint venture with Big Loud in the United States, and he has a new single, Tailgate to Heaven, featuring Chris Lane, and also he has new music planned for throughout the year. So please enjoy our conversation with Sean Austin. Welcome to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you very much. There's some exciting news. Let's talk about the next couple of weeks first, because things are really starting to take off. What do you have, like three or four shows that you have coming up the next few weeks? Yeah, we're going to be pinballing a little bit. Uh, We're in Calgary this weekend for um, Dallas uh, Smith's Lifted Hotel shows that are starting I guess this weekend. So we're doing that. We've got a couple shows back east. We're doing Crooks Rapids. It used to be a drive-in. Now it's a regular show, which is awesome. Uh, We're playing the Boots and Hearts. Summer Never Dies. That's not the right name, but I'm trying to remember it. (laughs) And then uh, Rock the Hub in Truro. Um, So it's going to be a a pretty killer couple weeks of getting back to what we love to do. You know, a part of me too is a little bit worried at the moment, just just simply because we don't want to see this stop. So yeah, with everyone making some some of the big guns canceling their tours, we're all kind of like, oh, okay, well, you know, we'll take we'll take uh, we won't be taking this for granted, but we're gonna hope that they're gonna continue on through the fall. Yeah, and you had the Calgary Stampede. That was sort of the first major show. How was yeah. that? What was the energy like? And what was it like for you getting back on stage? Because I've talked to some people who were talking about sort of the nerves going into that and wondering what the feeling was going to be like and ensuring they hadn't lost the passion during that year and a half off. So what was it like for you? Definitely no loss of passion for me. I I can guarantee that that was like coming up for a massive breath of air after being underwater for 18 months. I keep telling people it felt so uh, beyond refreshing. I, I don't really have a, a good enough term for it. Seeing the crowd there, seeing thousands of people again, seeing everyone kind of having fun about music again. And I really applaud the, the Stampede for how they conducted everything too. Everything felt safe the entire time. And and just to hear, you know, some people singing songs back and, and to see people dancing a bit and just to see, to get that vibe and to get that energy again, it was, it's, it's like the world's best drug. And uh, this is this is why I think that you know we're, we're excited to get, to play more, but we're also like oh I, we can't we can't lose this again. Like this is there's no way that uh, we can do another lockdown of any sort. So it's nice to see things and nice to see people you know doing what they can to, to just be safe and keep things going. But let's just hope that uh, the train still keeps rolling forward. 
Yeah, exactly. And now you're back in Vancouver. That is, of course, where you grew up. Now, let's talk about growing up in Vancouver. In your early days, were your parents musically inclined in any way? Definitely. My mom's a operatically trained singer. She's she's pretty incredible on what she can do. And my dad's been, he's, I mean, he should have been a drummer. He never was. He's got a great sense of beat. But then between the two of them, the, the... like uh, he, my dad introduced me to to country and classic rock, and and basically all the backbone of of who I am as an artist now. And then my mom just, you know, kind of, I, I was always really shy as a kid growing up for ch- singing and and all that stuff. So everything that I think uh, she she was really good at just gent gently pushing me and gently kind of uh, letting me explore music, and it just kind of all culminated through getting a few opportunities through high school to be, we had a rock band class, we had a jazz band class. So great classes to have boosted my GPA through the roof. (laughs) And yeah, the rest just kind of is history after that. And so with your mom being classically trained, she very well could have sort of taken that different route of really pushing you towards Mm -hmm. music, right? So how do you think it benefited you with her just sort of nudging you and sort of allowing you to do it on your own rather than saying, here, do this, you have to do this? Yeah, you know, I think it's, obviously I haven't experienced it yet being, you know, having, I don't have kids of my own, but I think when the day comes, I'm going to use that same uh, strategy simply because I don't think when you're, you know, if something becomes a chore, if something becomes, um, you know, you have to do this, then a kid's going to be like, ah, I don't want to do it anymore. It's no fun. So it, for, for me, it was being able to listen to all genres of music growing up through my dad and then having my mom's expertise kind of guiding what I'm listening to along the way just gave a really nice open opportunity for me to kind of explore at my own pace. And, and it made me lean towards instruments first, piano and guitar. That's kind of all I did. And then kind of slowly worked into vocals and, and things early high school okay. um, so yeah if, if i feel like if if early days it was like lessons and this and this and that i probably would have just been like i ah, can't do it i'll stick to baseball <laughs> yeah exactly and when did you start to pick up the piano and the guitar and start playing piano was early i was probably five or six oh, okay. um that didn't la- last as long as i wish it did that's kind of one of my my early regrets is just not keeping up with piano but then guitar I was in grade six or seven when it really, I kind of, I, I got this fire lit for, for guitar and it was driving me nuts that I couldn't make certain chord shapes, play certain songs. And it, that turned into this obsession that I haven't let go of now. And it's just uh, all through high school, I was that kid in, in his room driving our neighbors nuts because I had my electric guitar with my amp railed. <laughs> and it was, a, it was, yeah, it was, I just sit there and go through YouTube and, try and match Steve Ray Vaughn and Keith Urban and you know everybody it was that was that was my my first foray into really trying to to do what I do now right and you mentioned there was a rock band class in high school now was there ever a point where you didn't really know what genre you wanted to go towards or were you always leaning towards the country side of things country was always the backbone it was always kind of the root and the foundation of what i did in high school rock took a huge influence like my first band was a rock band we were called the suits it was terrible (laughs) what age were you when you started that oh 13 or 14 probably and i I remember our very first show 
and we were called the suits. So naturally, you know, we send the memo out to, out to everybody. You got to wear a suit. Well, like of course. <laughs> and it looks so cheesy. But of course, our bass player completely either misses the memo or forgets or something and shows up in a Iron Maiden sleeveless T-shirt, ripped jeans. So there's four <laughs> of us in suits and then him. And it looked very, you know, classic high school rock band. Right. And there are video uh, out there of that first performance. And I hope they never see the light of day again. Well, I saw a photo on your social media. Was that from that first performance? Do you remember that photo that you posted from your high school performance? No, I know which one you're talking about. That's the, that was, that was from uh, when I was in rock band. The, the, there's a photo. Oh, okay. I, I might, I might have to, to try and dig it up from the, that was the photo I posted is probably two or three years after the first rock band. Oh, okay. If I can find it, I'll, I'll post it and you can really <laughs> see what, what a mess we were at the start. So how long did that last then? Oh, a couple months, maybe. Oh, okay. Um, it wasn't like that, a year long thing or anything. That iteration of it didn't last too long. And this was the nice thing about having an actual class where we could do rock band stuff was because then the few of us that actually went into the class were able to you know, four or five times a week in an actual studio environment, practice, play, learn, figure out dynamics, figure out how to play with other people. I mean, it wasn't just in a garage making a bunch of noise. It was there was actually some structure to it. So it was a nice a proper learning environment to to try and rope in these 14-year-old brains of ours at the, at the time. <laughs> and so after high school, you played ball. That yeah. was sort of your focus was possibly going pro with baseball yeah. and injuries caught up with you. But before that time, before you hit 20, was music something that you saw beyond high school and beyond baseball or did it not really kick in until you finished baseball? I think, um, you know, it was I, I always knew that I, I, I had a knack for music. And I really enjoyed, I did a bunch, you know, I, I hate admitting this, but I did a few, uh, I was Danny Zuko in the high school musical. I was, I did a few things like that. So oh, I had okay. these experiences of being on stage in front of people and I love that. And I, I recognized that the response was always good, but yeah, I mean, at the time I, I just thought it was going to be a hobby and I didn't, I guess, have enough worldly understanding of what I was doing. So baseball was everything. Baseball, we, we I was having success with it getting looked at by certain teams, playing in a, in a pretty high-level ball. So that was definitely my, my first thought of, of being my career, or at least where I wanted to go. Yeah. And then, yeah, injuries and, and the politics of the game changed my, my future with that real quick. But that was the thing is I had baseball, I had music right after that. I remember going into – I started working in restaurants, and that turned into me playing in bars and restaurants after my shifts. Oh, okay. Um, I'd be playing in, in pubs and, and you name it. And that I did that for 12 years and I wouldn't change that experience for anything. Having that back or that uh, foundation of, of just me and a guitar playing in front of um, tons of different people, tons of different uh, age groups and trying to learn how to click with people yeah. was everything for me. And how many cover songs did you know? Oh, hundreds, hundreds. <laughs> it was, I, I'm the first four or five years I was doing it. I had a, a binder in front of me that was easily four or five, six inches thick, just filled with music. But, I, and it drove me nuts carrying that around because I already had all the other 
all my PA stuff, everything. So I remember really trying to drill down and I think I had, I didn't want to use the book anymore. Learned like 300 or so songs. Wow. And I just kind of ran those at random, depending on what the room was doing. Everything from, you know, classic rock, reggae, folk, singer, songwriter, pop, and then the Christmas tunes. And, (laughs) you know, there was no shortage of a, a range of stuff I was doing. Wow. And I think I read that your first show was a small coffee shop right around right around your house. Now, do you remember that show and sort of what your feeling was? Because like you say, you performed in high school, but was this sort of the first time of being a pseudo professional musician? Yeah, no, it was a place called the Bakehouse. Uh, It's actually still just down the street from me. I, it was a Sunday afternoon gig. I thought I think I started at one o'clock till three, and I just sat there and played some songs and bashed through like learning how to dial in live live sound, like trying to make it all sound half decent. And I thought I was just doing terribly for the first forty five minutes, and I took a break. And I had three different people come up asking if I could play their events. Oh, really? And yeah, and it was right out of the like my first, like you said, my first real pro paid gig. And then I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe I'm doing something right here. Maybe I can keep doing this. And that did open. I think I booked all three shows, played a bunch of gigs, kept playing at this at the Bakehouse. Some of my be- best memories of music early days were at the Bakehouse. I met Michael Buble there. I met oh, wow. um, some other influential people uh, within the industry. And that kind of probably lit the fire for me to start to go, oh, well, if I can make this a career, then let's do it. And what year was that, that show? Ooh. 2007 probably okay yeah okay. so it's so, some time ago now but uh, <laughs> yeah. it was the year I graduated and I was I was doing that I was in restaurants playing a little bit of baseball at the same time but it was that's when baseball was starting to wind down oh, not okay. that I recognized it I recognized it then yeah but yeah it was uh yeah it was 2007 Wow. And there was also the Village Tap House in Park Royal. Now, what yeah. does that venue mean to you within your journey? I want to own that place uh, one day. I really do. That was a, for five years, that was my home, my second home. I had tons of buddies there. I basically met my wife there. I played so much. I was playing there three nights a week. Sometimes I'd play five nights a week, depending on what was going on in the in the city. And that was like, that was my place where I kind of became known as the guy playing at the tap house. People would come all from all over the, the kind of the North shore where I am to come hang out and people would request songs. And some nights were just absolute parties. Like when you have that, that everything clicks and you get that vibe and everyone's in a good mood. You know, sometimes it was after a, a Canucks game when they won or during the playoffs, there's just, I've got a trillion memories from that place. And it's always going to have that spot in my, in my heart, in my mind that uh, I don't think I'll ever recreate that. And you've mentioned, I think, that some songs are even written about that place. Are there yeah. certain songs that come to mind that you, you remember the feeling of that place being put into a song? Yeah, there's, I mean, it's, I've got a song called I Can Be Him, which is about my, my wife now. And there's visuals about seeing her there. And there's a song that's out right now that a guy named Nate Holler recorded called okay. Lightning in a Bottle. Oh, yeah. And there's a whole bunch of imagery from that, too. Like you talking about, you know, the girl in a crowded bar at a booth, peeling a label off a bottle, like all of that 
in my mind was was tap house um, memories. So yeah, I mean, and I'm sure there's going to be more to come because it's, <laughs> that was such a massive five years of my life uh, being part of that restaurant. So holds a special place. And that songwriting, when did you start songwriting? When did that start to become a thing for you? That was later on. I think that was more into my early mid twenties. I started going once, once writing cover or playing covers started to get not old, but I'm kind of like, I wanted to figure out a way to just do a little bit, do a little bit more. Yeah. So that caused me to just put pen to paper. And I've been a huge John Mayer fan for a long time, for, for as long as I can remember. So I remember really trying to emulate the way he writes. What I found was that I don't like writing solo. Right. Um, it's one of those things where you write a, something on a piece of paper and it's like, nah, this sucks. Get it away. And then when I got, after I got signed and understood how co-writing works, that was a game changer for me because now it's, I don't have that uh, allowance to just not pay attention to an idea. It was a great um, experience to be like, no, 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 hang on. Let's, let's, let's drill down on that a bit. Let's see what you, see what you got there. And, you know, I equate a lot of things to my baseball thing, working with a team is by far my, uh, my choice of, of working in any capacity. So going forward, co-writing, more writing as the world opens up and I can be down in Nashville some more. I really want to flex that muscle a bit more in the future. And you talk about Nashville. When was the first time you went down there and what have those journeys meant to just understanding the country music business on a whole outside of Canada? My first trip was ooh, 20, probably 2013. Uh, I went down to Nashville. I, I have a friend that's down there. I met. I, I done, I'd done a competition a few years before, and we we stayed uh, good friends. And I remember meeting her down there, and she's like, "We we were just kind of having a, a a blue sky conversation." I, I what did I ask her? I said, "What do I have to do in your eyes to kind of take this to the next level?" And she goes, "If you want this, you've got to want it. You got to start focusing on who you are as an artist. You got to be down here, as in Nashville." And I just remember everything from that conversation. I walked away going, okay, totally different perspective now. And it was a very much a catalyst to go, now I need to figure out how to pivot from being a cover guy to an artist and really develop myself as who I want to be going forward. Yeah. And what was that like? Because like you talk about for like 10, 12 years before that, you're playing covers. That's who yeah. you are. You're a cover guy. And then when you think about going solo, all of a sudden, like you say, you have to find your sound, you have to find yourself. So yeah. what was that process like for you? It was definitely probably hit or miss. Everyone always compared me to Mayor, probably because I spent too much time just wanting to be like him, wanting to, like, I loved his sound. I loved his guitar playing. So that was the first kind of, okay, well, you're not Mayor, but you can, let's figure out Mayor plus what. So I, I remember just kind of starting to go, I'm not going to try to sound like anything. I'm not going to try to, I don't want to consciously be working towards a sound. I just started playing and started writing and started listening to, that's when I really went back to country and I started listening to old stuff and started listening to where the new stuff was going. And incredibly, it was around that time too, where I heard Dallas Smith's Somebody Somewhere and I was a huge default fan in high school. We covered a whole bunch of default stuff. Right. I remember hearing him going, I know that voice. And thinking, okay, well, he still sounds like default once I figured out who it was. And yet this works so well in country. So 
I'm like, okay, well, why, why am I trying to sound like something else? Why don't I just do what I do? Right. And then go from there. And that's, that's all I did. And then as, as I started writing more and tried to polish who I was as an artist, uh, we put out a song called Nashville independently before I even met Dallas. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Cause I saw that song on Spotify, but it's rarely mentioned anywhere else on yeah. in the online universe. Yeah. That was a song that a bunch my, my friends and I wrote, and then we put it out just as a independent track to, to kick, get the ball rolling. And that was a song that Dallas heard that caused uh, him to take a shot with me. Oh, okay. And that's when I signed with Steelhead shortly after that, after I put that song out. So that was, that was about a five-year process, but that was the five years where I went from being a John Mayer tribute act to, I think, finding who I was as Sean Austin. And it was in 2017, early 2017 that you signed. And I saw after that, just how quickly things started to take off. And you kind of mentioned on social media that you couldn't really believe it because after all those years of sort of grinding it out and then making this decision, this is what I want to do. How surprising was it in those first, you know, six months, a year after signing, just how much there was to do and what having a career in country music entailed? Yeah, it was absolute whirlwind. So just before I signed, or I guess about six months before I met Dallas, I gave myself, I was a financial advisor and I oh, gave okay. myself a year. I said, I have one year to really figure out how to take this to the next level. I was playing 10 shows a week, doing the financial advisor thing, just dead, completely dead. And so I said, if I can't do this in a year, music's going to be pushed aside a little bit. And I'm really going to you know, focus on work and and all that but then i met dallas signed with steelhead put out paradise found and the world completely changed overnight pretty much and it was when you're a new new artist you always think it's going to take three four five six singles Mm -hmm. you know five years to just to get things moving i mean that's i think that's reasonable but it just goes to how amazing the country fans are in canada how great canadian radio is how great the team was for elevating this new guy right out of the gates and you know we something clicked and having that go to top 10 and being part of dallas's side effects tour it was just being thrown into the deep end of how what the industry is and how uh, a career can be yeah and it was the final check off the box that i'm not giving this up for anything this is this is where i'm meant to be this is what i love to do and i feel very lucky to, to kind of be here now and, and actually be able to do it uh, every day. And was there a moment in like 2017, 2018, you mentioned like being on the radio, going top 10, the side effects tour with Dallas. Was there a moment that you can remember within that whirlwind of the feeling, the nail in the coffin that this was going to work and this was going to be your career now? Yeah, it was the end of the tour. We had finished in Abbotsford, basically a hometown show. Yeah. And, uh, the day before uh, Dallas was telling me that that JR uh, Country had it, it had popped to number one on their charts. So he's like, "This is unreal. We're gonna do Paradise Found tomorrow." It was the first time we did it on the entire show because him and I were trading off on one of his tracks. Oh, okay. So showtime comes. I'm nervous. There's nine, ten thousand people. It was a sellout. I can't remember how many people were there. And this is the end of a two month run. It's I'm you know buzzing for months. 
you know, on, on how great this was. <clears throat> and then we do his song and, and then my, my time comes up for paradise found. And here I am thinking that Dallas is going to do it with me. We'll trade off verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And he walks off the stage <laughs> and he leaves me high and dry in front of all these people at his, at his show. <laughs> and we start with that little opening lick on paradise found and the crowd lit up and I don't remember those three minutes. <laughs> I, I don't bet. have any recollection. I've seen video now, so I, I I know what happened. But it was it was completely surreal, out of body, um, and that was the final hard nail in the coffin. <laughs> that, that, that was. I mean, I I don't. I hope I have a moment like that again in music. But that's that was so big. It's tough to tough to describe. And another moment I know that's tough to describe is hearing yourself on the radio for the first time. Yeah. Uh, just quickly talk about that and the emotions that you had when that happened. Yeah, I remember the Friday when uh, Jackson from from JR Country called or sent me a text saying that, hey, you might want to listen to the radio in the next next 20 minutes, something might play. And I was running some errands or doing something, but I took a, a detour down to, we've got a, a beach down here called Ambleside Beach. Right at the end of it is a uh, cul-de-sac that overlooks the water and Lionsgate Bridge. And I just stopped my car. And the minute I stopped and hit park, Paradise Found came on. I, that was another surreal moment where you're just going like, this is how it starts. This is not nothing that I even expected would have happened this quick. Hearing yourself on the radio, hearing a song that you put, you know, your, 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 uh, your heart into and releasing that into the world and, and kind of recognizing that people are digging it as well. It's it, another, it just made the fire bigger that this is, that's what I want to keep doing. If people keep connecting with what we're putting out, that's the goal. That's, you know, trying to make it re, uh, recognize that everyone, we're all in the same boat in a different, in, in different capacities. It's just, you know, we all have the same experiences for the most part. And that's why I love country because it's, what do they say? The broad specific where a song might be about a specific topic, but it's in a, a space where everyone can relate in some way. So that was, that was paradise found for me. And that was, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it never gets old though. I hear every time I hear myself on the radio anywhere in, in uh, I am, it's, it's pretty special. And now 2019 was a big year. You had a lot of festivals, the, the yeah. summer festival tour that you had going on in 2019 was amazing. So what was that like? And then sort of what was it like in 2020 heading in back into that and realizing, yeah. oh, that's not going to happen? Yeah, so, so thankful that we had 2019. That was my biggest year for shows and for, for hitting the big, the big stages. And just, again, solidifying that, look at all these people that are music lovers like me. And look at, look at how, how much of a party and how much of like, this is what life is to me, just having those opportunities where you can have fun, let loose, have a drink, have a few drinks. So that was pretty, pretty incredible to be part of some of the major uh, festivals and meeting so many people and just being a fan of country myself, seeing the, the artists that I was able to see, I mean, that was almost just, just as, as good as, as performing right. for me. And then we got excited because 2020 was lighting up to be this huge year. There was tours that were never announced. There was collaborations that were never, never came to fruition. And it was a, it was a gut punch for, for myself and everyone. We all kind of recognized you know, unfortunately, as as the the year went on, that that was going to be a bit of a write off year, and 
it, it took it took a good few months for me to get into a better headspace that we were going to come out of it. There's a lot of silver linings too because 2020 created what we're doing now. And my, my I keep telling everyone I what I learned in 2020 was patience from having to keep. Uh, I did a show called Songland with NBC. I had to keep that under wraps. I had to when I learned that local hay and this big loud joint venture were going to start. I had to keep that under wraps. How far in advance? Wraps. How far in advance did you know? of that signing realistically about a year oh really yeah i and i shouldn't say that i knew like i knew that the the direction that things were going but it wasn't you know i didn't know the details on what was happening i just knew that there was talk of maybe uh some merger like this occurring so you know i i but i still had to you know i talked to the team about it but nobody else could really know yeah and i was excited because i knew that some doors might open because of it and that kind of plays into how the new single Tailgate to Heaven came to fruition, where initially that was only supposed to be a song that I was on and we were going to do a different song with Chris Lane. Oh, okay. um, but he heard it and he loved it and he asked if he could be on it. And we're like, absolutely. Like, why, why, why wouldn't <laughs> you think it'd be incredible? And it completely elevated the track, in my opinion. And yeah, I mean, there's a 2020 turned was a a lot of good things came out of uh, came out of a lot of bad things of that yeah year. how important were those things signing the record deal having that song with chris lane knowing yeah. that stuff was coming how important was that for getting you through 2020 if you didn't have those yeah. things to look forward to would coming out of it have looked different for you i think so i really do having things to look forward to big things was a, a mental game changer I went from early on in the year thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to play music for this year. 2021 is going to open up. I'm, I felt kind of like I was going to have to restart a little bit because I felt like we lost steam. But then the signing, the songs, and that, I mean, we're sitting on a bunch of other songs too that, are, that we'll be releasing soon that all kind of were part of the package of going. I felt like I, I was able to sit back a little bit and go, we're, we're working hard. We're doing a lot of stuff. It's just in a different capacity right now. So we might not be doing the live shows, but we're really building the business. And I was able to, I, like, I looked at it as the start, second chapter of the start of what I hope to be a long career now. And it just, with the team that we have now and, and everything that's going on, I'm pretty excited. And I mean, there's a lot of work to do, but I'm, I'm really happy and feel pretty good about where we're, where, where we are and where we're going. And of course, local hay is Dallas Smith yeah. uh, leading that. Now, thinking back to releasing your single Nashville independently, it was because of that that Dallas heard you. It's yeah. because of that that Dallas took you on your very first Canada-wide tour. It's because yeah. of that that you're now signed. So yeah. how important has Dallas been? Like it seems like like that moment was just integral to this becoming a career absolutely having a guy like dallas in your corner it's untouchable it is so the wealth of experience the i mean the success that he's had in multiple genres his understanding of the business of, of music all of that is massive but you can take it all away and he's just dallas smith and he's a guy that has a heart bigger than he's ever going to admit. Um, he's so smart about just being a good person and, and how to operate the industry in a really social way. 
it, it is business for him, but he's just, he's the guy that everyone wants to be around just because he's a good guy and having, knowing that he's in my corner and knowing that I can go to him anytime for advice. It's, it's, an, you know, I, I couldn't ask for anything more. I really couldn't. And again, being a fan of his from, you know, when I was 12 years old, he hates when I say that, but <laughs> it's true. And it, it's been, a, it's been an amazing full circle five years now being able to work with him. And normally when an artist switches labels, you know, you think something's bad or something, something didn't work. So having now my old team with a new team and just building on that wealth of knowledge is uh, I, I lucky is not a, a good enough word to describe uh, how I feel about it. And now moving forward with the new team, what is the plan? You mentioned more music. Are we just going to yeah. see singles coming out or is there going to be a package DP that we can look forward to? I think so. Um, I mean, this is the, the, uh, the day-to-day fluidity of, of coming out of the pandemic is we're trying to figure out what the, the smartest move is. Right. It's going to be an EP, I believe, and it could build into an album um, over the next year, let's say. But I think for sure we've got a, an EP's worth of, of solid music that, that we're going to trickle out over the next few months, really building for the live show for next year and hopefully showing people where we're going. Um, I, I think sonically, this is the best stuff I've ever put out. Uh, I feel more confident about my voice more than ever. And it's fun to to kind of have this. I'm five years in. I kind of know, I feel like I know the game a little bit now myself. And um, when I'm in the studio, it's it's not, I feel like I'm experimenting a little bit more and really trying to push to find uh, new sounds or, or just things that I haven't done before that or I didn't think I could do. So it's it's been a nice you know, another silver lining out of the pandemic is just having that time to really investigate who I am as an artist more. And yeah, the, the next, uh, the next year should be pretty cool. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on all the success and the success that you're having coming out of this brutal year. And we'll look forward to the new music. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Sean for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out his new single, Tailgate to Heaven, featuring Chris Lane, wherever you stream your music and keep an eye out for more music coming later this year. Please also make sure to like, share, follow, subscribe to us on whatever streaming service you are listening on. Leave a review, a rating, tell your friends, your family, your neighbors to come on over and have a listen. That support is huge. Thanks once again for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.